Hey, everybody. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbV. In each episode, Nora has a real conversation with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start Embracing the Journey and learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh. That's Chuck. How you doing, Chuck? I'm great, man. This, this, let's just stop right here, Chuck. We've got something to shamelessly plug. I want to just get it over with. I feel really right. bad about why, this. Why call it anything other than what it is? Right. Okay, so um, everybody, Chuck and I uh, just made, and Jerry. Jerry was a huge part of it. Agreed. Our producer, Jerry. It would have just been steaming had Jerry not um, been involved in this, right? Agreed. Uh, Chuck and I just recorded our first spoken word album. Right. We have uh, joined the likes of uh, Jack Kerouac and Barack Obama, except our spoken word album's on the economy, economics, right, Chuck? Yes, indeed. Uh, we took the path less traveled, did something that's kind of obscure and people you know, aren't talking about much these days. Right. Um, and what's it called, Chuck? It is called the Stuff You Should Know, Super Stuffed Guide to the Economy. And it is super stuffed because it's uh, long and it's detailed and <laughs> right. it's got interviews with experts. There's We, um, we go on site, we yeah. leave the studio. Chicken farm. Not the, it's not a spoiler alert, right. don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, so it's up for sale on iTunes right now, right? Uh-huh. Um, and it is for sale. It is. I know you folks are always saying, I can't believe your podcasts are free. Well, we took your advice. So. Yeah, thanks for that. Hopefully this will allow us to keep doing what we do. Yeah, so uh, that's have we reached the end of the shameless plug? Oh, yes. Wait. So if you want to go buy it, that would be totally fine with us. That would be great. Okay, so uh, that now we've reached the end of the shameless plug. Yes. And it's time to get into your shameless segue. Yeah, which is this. Have you ever mountain climbed? I know you've repelled, but were you ever on a mountain? To repel, mine was, one must climb. Now, I've never actually rock climbed, but I've done plenty of hiking in the mountains. I gotcha. But not rock face climbing. That's Was there snow in any of these mountains? Were you up so high that there's like perennial snow? Oh, yeah, sure. Really? Yeah. Where? Like Colorado, stuff like that. Huh. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I didn't know that was shocking. I know. California I, I too. See, I see you like wearing your little shorts and hiking boots with like thick socks, kind of pushed down. Yeah. Um, so far, so good. Yeah. And just kind of hiking along what most people would call like a hill, or something like that. Certainly <laughs> not like where there's like Kennesaw Mountain. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I can't say anything because it's way out of my league. Kennesaw Mountain is, let alone the Rockies. No, I mean trust me, dude. I'm not. You won't think I'm a Sherpa like scaling the the. Mount Everest or anything like that. Yeah, and I think at this point I can tell you I've left untoward behind, and Sherpa is now my favorite word right now. Okay. I love that word. It just rolls off the tongue. Sherpa. They're cute little guys. Yeah, agreed. Um, 
Okay, so you have done some mountain climbing. So so you can speak to what we're going to talk about with reasonable authority. Yes. I, I can defer to you when I get confused, <laughs> yeah, inevitably. Sure. So, Chuck, have you ever read Into Thin Air? I have not, but I did read Into the Wild, which is it's John Krakauer, is that his name? Yeah, John Krakauer. He is a journalist for Outside Magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, he knows how to uh, take an outdoor um, event yeah. and turn it into a, a good book. Into the Wild is a great example. Chris McCandless, yeah. uh, who actually went to school down uh, the road at Emory right. and decided that he was going to go to Alaska and basically just didn't quite do it right. Yeah. Died after three months of uh, exposure to the elements, I think. Uh, there's some varying theories on why he died, but we won't, that's not what this is about. Okay. Well, no. We're, thin air, into thin air is much, much more pertinent to this topic, don't Correct. you think? Okay. So um, that's actually about a... Uh, an, an expedition on Mount Everest um, in, that took place in May 1996. He was actually on this one, right? Yes, he was, um, which is one of the reasons the book is so incredible. I bet. Um, and it was a complete cluster of a um, of an expedition. Really? Eight, eight people died, Ugh. accounting for um, more than half the deaths on Everest that year. Really? This one expedition. Wow. Um, there was a rogue storm that whipped up, and it killed some people, and others were lost, and then they died, but then other people went after them to try to rescue them, and then they died. And mm-hmm. It was just more like a, let's get out of here whenever we can. You basically just have to write everybody off, right? right. Um, and and like, like I said, it's a very, very good book. Um, but one of the things that I took from it is that Number one, Mount Everest is a total bear as mm-hmm. far as mountains go. Completely inhospitable for humans. Yeah. You want to talk about, you want to talk a little bit about Everest? Yeah. I guess we should get a, just a couple of stats out of the way. All right. It's, let's do um, it. Everyone knows it's the tallest peak in the world. Yeah. They call it the rooftop of the world. They do. And for good reason. quick aside, um, there is a discovery microsite on Everest. And it has a 360 degree panoramic view. You show, remember, you showed uh, me that like my first week here. It's amazing. It was unbelievable. And I said to myself, that is awesome. And this Josh dude has it going on. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. That's how I've collected all of my friends. That's how the magic starts. Yeah. You send them the Everest photo. Yeah. I just, I pay it out a little bit at a time. Yeah. Start with the Everest photo. It's and really then cool though. You know, you're sitting up at night. You actually feel like you're there when you look at this panoramic uh, picture and so much so that I don't feel like I need to climb it. You can almost hear the wind whipping. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So give me some more stats. So, yeah. Tallest peak in the world. Uh, share Which the, is, what's the uh, peak? How, how tall is it? 29,035 feet. Which is 8,850 meters for our friends who don't live in the U.S. or Liberia or Burma. Correct. Right. Very well done. Uh, little shout out, insider shout out to our listener mailer. She wrote <laughs> in with that. Um, and the mountain itself shares a, a border with Nepal and Tibet, but the actual peak is in Nepal. So India is not involved? Not as far as I know. Huh. Um, why did you say that? <laughs> you trying to throw me off my game. Yeah, don't worry about it, Chuck. No one can throw you off your game. Right. Not even me. Josh messes with me sometimes, people, but it usually gets cut out. I have a feeling this will make it in. So, Chuck, I have a question for you. Shoot. What is the worst season to go on Everest? Well... Really, anything outside of um, May and June. That's, May to June. Yeah, that's when you want to climb Everest. May, out, so May to June camp. is the time you want to go. Yes. Oh well. Okay. Gotcha. So, Josh, an average day, if you want to talk weather, an average Which day in, in May of 2008 was uh, minus 17 degrees Fahrenheit. Which is minus 27 degrees Celsius. True. And winds of 51 miles an hour. 
81 kilometers. Right. Very yeah. good. So that's during the most hospitable time of the year, barring no like freak storms and unusual activity. Yeah. Uh, other times of the year, the jet stream passes directly by the summit, which is in May to June. The jet stream does not do that, which is why that's the time to go. Gotcha. And you can get winds up to like you know 120 miles an hour. And uh, minus I've heard 118 miles an hour, which would be 189 kilometers an hour. And minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit, so which is minus 73 degrees Celsius. Right. So you cannot imagine. Have you ever been up in a tall, tall building? Um. Yeah. In the wintertime? No. Outside? No. Okay. I, I climbed I, I, the Empire I State Building. like you, Chuck. <laughs> There's no mountain climbing. Certainly no Colorado hiking. No tall buildings in the wintertime. Right. Uh, but you've been to Malta. Um, that is true. I, just a few years ago, Emily and I were at the top of the Empire State Building around Christmas time. Nice. And dude, that's the Empire State Building, and I thought I was going to die. The wind and the cold. Really? And that's the Empire State Building. So imagine Mount Everest at 29,000 feet. So. Well, were you properly outfitted on the roof of the Empire State oh, Building? Oh, yeah. I mean, Did I wasn't have, wearing my shirt. Have you established gear, but... a, a base camp by then? Yeah, on the on the ground floor of the, <laughs> the Empire State Building. The security guard comes out and is like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so, so Chuck, I think we got it down. Mount Everest is not the place to be, especially no. with your Empire State allegory. That's pretty good. Thanks. Okay, so um, and we've also established that people die right. on Everest. How many was there? 189 so yeah, far? Yeah, that's the, that's the current count. And I, you said that 2,000 people have died or have, have successfully summited Everest. Right. That was as of a few years ago. That was the count. And the BBC told me 1,300. Uh, well, you know. So somewhere between there. For every stat, there's another stat when it comes to stuff like this. An equal and opposite stat. Like some guy might have snuck up to Everest and not officially logged it with the BBC, you know? Well, the the, uh, <laughs> the problem is, is that... Um, if you die on Everest, apparently you stay on Everest. Pretty much. Yeah. Which is what your article's about, right? Yeah, it's much, uh, it's a suicide mission to try and bring a body, uh, down from the death zone. And the death zone is, uh, above 26,000 feet. That's like the final area above the final base camp where you go to reach the summit. And that's where most people die. Okay. And and not everybody who's died on Everest is still there, but a significant portion is. Like of the 189, there's uh, 120. And also, we should probably say um, before you uh, sharpen your pencils and email us, we're working off of what, like 2004 stats right here. Yeah. So uh, at, at least several people have died since then. I think. Uh, I know at least one guy died in 2006 on Everest. Right. Um, the thing is, is it, 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 you can't even bring your oxygen canister down. Uh, no, obviously, a, trash a dead person and an oxygen cancer, not the same thing, but it kind of puts it in perspective. Right. Like, you are going up there and getting back down, and you're lucky to escape with your life, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And, and from what, I, what I've read and had been described to me, to try and bring a body down is a suicide mission for everyone involved. So it's like, you can't save this person because you put your entire crew at risk. So you just have to march on. Right. Um, now, that's kind of the uh, predominant view of people who who climb Everest. Um, but it seems like it's starting to change. Like technology is advancing enough and people's gear and, and oxygen equipment. It's getting good enough so that that, that sentiment is almost um, being outlived. It's already been outlived. Uh, obviously, Sir Edmund Hillary is the guy who summited Everest for the first time. Right. With, Although uh, there are debates about that, too. 
Oh, did they think uh, Norgay beat him? Uh, well, George Lee Mallory actually is another climber, and there's there's some speculation as to who actually got there first. Because Mallory was found dead. Right. And actually, in the article, there's a picture of his I know. petrified, frozen, headless body. It is a cool picture. Yeah. Yeah, his head just pretty much withered away. The The weird thing is, is like if you look at his left hand, it's it, totally intact. Right. Like, it looks like he's just laying there if you just look at his arm. Yeah, true. But wh- where'd they find him? I mean, did they find him at the summit? Uh, or did they think he made it to the summit and started to climb down and died, maybe? Exactly. I think that's the speculation. They did not find They found him beneath the summit. And there's speculation as to whether, what you said, whether he made it all the way down and died on the way back or whether he never made it all the way up. Gotcha. And he would have been before Hillary, so that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, he was in the 20s, right? Yeah, 1924. And it looks like he was running around in like a burlap sack. Well, I think that's not good climbing. It's weathered some over the years. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, either way, the first person to be, to document their place at the top sure. of Mount Everest is Sir Edmund Hillary. And his and Sherpa. he did it with uh, Nepalese Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. Right. Who's just got the best name. Yeah. He's got Sherpa right there and then Tenzing and yeah. Norgay. I love that guy's name. That's that's your fake name when you check in the hotels, isn't it? Tenzing Norgay. <laughs> Why did you do that? <laughs> I tell you things in confidence. Thank you, Chuck. Now you know, I have to change my name. This brings up a point, though, that he's, he's uh, he, obviously the most well-known Sherpa ever. Have you, you ever heard sure. of any other Sherpa? I have, but I never retain their names like Tenzing Norgay. Well, they get a raw deal, is my point. Like you always see the guy, you know, the the white dude in the Jan Sport North Face gear, right? Sure. On top of Everest, and you don't see like and there's like two Sherpas. Yeah, the two kind Sherpas of, like, like on the outside of the frame. Yeah, it's their third trip up that week. Yeah. You know, they're like big deal. Did you ever see that uh, episode of The Simpsons where Homer? Climbs Mount uh, Springfield. Yes, and the two Sherpas are like doing cartwheels on the yeah. way down and dragging him up while he sleeps at night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I imagine that that's probably. I think it's a thankless job, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think Sherpas uh, of the world they need to form a union or something. So how did we get on Hillary? Uh, well, you said that he was the first man. Okay. Well, um, and he did not perish. I know. I know what I was going to say. He lived until 2008, so he lived to see a lot of people die, follow yeah. in his footsteps and die. And um, in 2006, this guy named uh, John Sharp, I believe, he died um, on the mountain. Uh, I think of exposure, maybe. And probably yeah. as many as 40 climbers passed right past him. Yeah, and While not like alive? passed him and didn't see him. Like passed him, noted he was dead right. or dying, dying, mm-hmm. and just kept going. Because that that mentality is still around, like, yeah. hey, it's too dangerous, right? The thing, the, the so Hillary came out and publicly criticized the people who didn't even do anything, really, or make an attempt. Um, and then the thing that really kind of drove that criticism home was the following year, a, a Nepalese woman was successfully rescued by an American climber, a very experienced American climber, but she was in virtually the same spot under virtually the same conditions. And he got her out, but 40 people walked past this guy just under the assumption that, and I I can imagine it's drilled into your head, like if you die or you're dying, we're going to leave you here. Right. But I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think that necessarily has to be the case anymore. As as that that American guide proved by saving the Nepalese woman. Right. And this is, this is me speculating here but i bet a certain amount of this too in addition to having that drilled in your head is it's so much effort and a lot of money to go on one of these expeditions and not you know some people climb it more than once but a lot of people this is their their one shot and they hear this and they might see someone dying and uh they think 
you know, I can't ruin my opportunity to climb Everest right. and potentially die right. in the process to rescue this stranger. So yeah. it's pretty sad. And I know there's a lot of controversy. Well, there is, there's definitely one guy who has probably received the most public ire of anybody who's let somebody die on Everest. His name is Ian Woodall. Yeah. And he actually figures as basically the villain in Into Thin Air. He was actually, oh, really? he was on the mountain uh, when Krakauer's expedition went pear-shaped. And um, so Krakauer was, you know, the, 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 these expeditions were very close together and oftentimes like coming into the same place at the same time. Right. And they try to stagger it, kind of like golf, except much, much <laughs> deadlier, um, where so everybody's not hitting the same points at the same right. time. So there's the sharp acting no as a starter. There's right? Yeah. Well, Woodall apparently was not down with waiting for anybody. I think his famous quote in the book is, we'll make it to the top anytime we damn well please or something like that. Interesting. He, so he's unwilling to coordinate with other expeditions. He um, wouldn't allow a, 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 another expedition, I think Krakauer's expedition, to use his radio to call for help um, for whatever reason. I don't remember. I read the book like a, a decade ago. Right. But he, he, Krakauer definitely doesn't like this guy. And basically, if he doesn't say in so many words, he insinuates that this, this people died on the mountain because of this man's action or inaction, right? right. So, and there was actually one, another climb that Woodall went on where he, yeah, he was with a dying woman. He and his partner, uh, Kathy O'Dowd, his, his, um, wife, actually. I think they're, they're climbing partners as well. Um, were going on their initial ascent, right? Right. And um, came upon a woman. And what is her name? Uh, her name is Frances Ar- Arsentiev. Okay. Um, yeah. And she was laying there dying. Yes. And so they went over and hung out with her for an hour and tried to see what they could do. And what happened? Well, they left her behind. Yeah. And she said, apparently the last words she said were, don't leave me behind. And they were forced to leave her behind. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know that part about the into thin air that he figured into that book. Yeah. But apparently he went back in 2007 to bury uh, the, her body uh, up there he as did. along with a couple of others she because had, he was racked with guilt apparently. Yeah. She had um, – I read a, a uh, an article in the Daily Mail about him doing that. Uh-huh. Um, and it was right before – he was actually on the mountain. They were interviewing him via satellite phone. Um, and apparently uh, Fran – as everybody called her, uh-huh. had become kind of this um, ghoulish landmark. Like uh, I think uh, Kathy right. O'Dowd put it like, you get to Fran and turn left. Yeah. Because she was right there on the trail. It's awful. And, and, you know, apparently like in like a kind of a really horrible frozen uh, state. Frozen state. Mm-hmm. And also her husband uh, was on the climb with her and he died, they assume. They never found him again uh, going to get help. Um, so yeah, it's a horrible story. They both left their, uh, a, a son behind, I believe. Uh. Um, but yeah, so, so Woodall wanted to go barrier and, uh, he ultimately ended up like lowering down, lowering her down and dropping her down the North face instead. Oh really? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, he's not a very well liked person among a lot of climbing circles. I get the impression. Well, I know there's certainly a lot of controversy around that. Um, I know that, uh, there's also been efforts it's a big trash dump, too, which is what's really sad. Yeah. Because, like you said, people will just dump their gear to make it easier on the way down. And uh, i got a good stat for you here. Uh, we're talking 120 tons of trash each year are left behind on Mount Everest by climbers. Wait, each year? I thought that was total. Uh, each year, says ABC News. Holy cow. And that climbing teams in China, they lead expeditions now to go up and 
clean some of this stuff up and they're trying to get some of these bodies down yeah. that are within, you know, safe reach. I mean, think about it. There's 120 bodies on Everest. Mm-hmm. The ones that are up in, what do you call it, the death zone? Yeah. Um, they're, they're pretty preserved. Like you can see in that picture of, uh, George Mallory, yeah. right? Um, so uh, they're close to trails generally. Mm-hmm. So the, it, I mean, imagine that. Imagine climbing Everest knowing that your own mortality is at risk and then having like these reminders along I the know. way. I felt that way at the Empire State Building. Did you? Were there a lot of dead bodies on the Empire State Building, like no. up the stairs? You know, over every couple landings. It's, a, it's an elevator, so I got you. I really had nothing to complain about. There's no stairs in the Empire State Building. Uh, Seems like a violation of fire well, safety no, I'm, codes. I'm sure there are stairs, but you don't climb them to get to the uh, the observation deck. I got gotcha. you. Take an elevator. That's why you're still just doing the Rockies, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, everybody! We're here to tell you about Viator a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000-plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000-plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep. Along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. So, uh, okay, well, Chuck... um I guess we've answered that question. 120 dead bodies, uh, hopefully less as they retrieve them, if they can retrieve them. Yeah. And hopefully less as time goes on, because I know that every year that goes by, fewer and fewer people are dying because of climbing technology, satellite phones, stuff like that. And possibly maybe a change in mentality about what happens to you if you get injured or you get exhausted. And a new bang-up generation of Sherpas as well. Yes, there are no Tenzing Norgays, though. <laughs> no. He's the it's he's a, the one. Yeah, last of a breed. Yeah. Well, uh, again, thank you for listening to that. Are there dead bodies on Mount Everest? You can read more about it. It's a Chuck article, which means it's the mark of quality. You can type in dead bodies Mount Everest, and it's going to come up in our handy search bar on HowStuffWorks.com. And um, while I'm sitting here thinking about a new um, pseudonym to come up with, when I 
check into hotels. Right. Um, Chuck's going to talk about our blog. Yes. Uh, our blog is up. It's been up for a little while now. And we've gotten some of you fine folks leaving comments, and we'd like to see more of it. And I just want to say, every Friday, I do a little podcast recap mm-hmm. on the blog where we just mention the, the shows that were released that week. And that's a good chance for you guys to, to chat with us about it. If you have any comments about that week's show, yeah, uh, we log on. We'll answer you back. We'll answer your questions. And uh, it's a good way to reach us. You want to mention the cartoon? Oh, yeah. Even better. Uh, there's a uh, For Friday, the March 20th, there's a blog post where Josh and I are actually have been made into a comic strip by an artist named Greg Williams mm-hmm. for the uh, Tampa Tribune in Tampa, Florida. And it's uh, regarding our junk mail podcast, and it's up on our blog now, and it's awesome. It's really, really cool. It is very cool. Um, he he found the one moment of scatological humor out of all of our podcasts and amplified it like a million times. Right. It's uh, He did a good job. And also, I never realized how round my head is until I saw it in cartoon form. Right. And he clearly used a compass to draw to draw me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have a big round head. That's good. Yeah. It looks nice. But, yeah, that's up on our blog. And thank you to uh, Mr. Greg Williams. Yes, for doing that. We feel very honored. Yes. And now. And I know what time it is. Listener mail. So, Chuck, the bring has occurred. Uh, the toned down bring, as per the request of some. The listener mail chime. Let's do it. Uh, this one. Um, is wait, it- wait, wait. There's no haiku in here, is there? Well, there's a brief one. (laughs) All haikus are brief. All right, let's go. (laughs) I said no more haikus, but this one's funny, because um, originally I called haikus that were corrections, correction coups. Uh I thought it was kind of funny. But Jonathan M. Pesky of Redlands, California, wrote us this one. Correction coup, no. Such a clunky moniker. Try haikurection. That is a little more clever. Much more better. Yeah. So, it's more better. Getting on with the correction coup. Uh, I know, and uh, I think last week we mentioned the um, listener mail someone wrote in about the MK Ultra video game. Yeah, the guy who's on acid while he wrote us. Right. Can we listen to a little clip of that real quick? Let's do that, because it was funny. Uh, in it, you were a weird costumed man with a gun for an arm, and you went through and violently killed everything in your midst. The world you were in was very interesting. Different colors, the walls moved, weird sounds. There was a talking dog as your sidekick. So, right, he wrote us in, and I was really, really disappointed to find out. We had quite a few people email us and tell us that it was not a game called MK Ultra. It's a game called MDK. Mm-hmm. And uh, while there was a weird costume man with a gun on his hand and a talking dog and lots of weird, trippy things and dark sense of humor... It apparently um, had nothing to do with MK Ultra. No. So I was disappointed to learn that. But I want to thank uh, Rue from Atlanta. Yes. Ali, oh boy, Itezadaka. <laughs> you think you practiced this. Ali, it, that's not bad. No. Uh, Robbie. Yeah. Alejandro. Okay. Charlie. And Michael. Wow. And they all are video game guys, I guess, and they wrote in um, to tell us that they had played MDK. It was a PC game, and it looked pretty cool. I looked at it on YouTube. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's pretty rad, but there's no um, there's no MK Ultra going on. Well, uh, thanks to everybody who wrote in, and if you want to write to us about your video gaming experiences, or just to say hi, or to suggest a new uh, pseudonym for me when I check into hotels, send it to stuff 
podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions.